And welcome to Shame Watch, a guilt-free dive in those massive movie failures that we hate to love. Each week, we look at a movie that either we, our guests, love, but society shames them for. We peek in each nook and cranny for every bright spot, keeping the public at bay while watching these movies like the miracles that they are. Today, we're going on a different planet. We're turning our eyes uh, different so we can see in the dark, and we are watching Pitch Black. I'm James Fight. Uh, below me is our executive chief archivist. Kenny Madison, executive chief archivist of flatfilms.com. We are still hiring for uh, chief archivist, so please apply to flatfilms.com, a real website. Go to flatfilms.com. Kenny, I'm going to need you to pick up that slack until we find someone. Well, I, okay, so sorry. So, yeah, go ahead and uh, keep doing that. Uh, and then uh, above him, is our one, the only, huggable editor, Aaron Salinas. Well, How's it going, gang? Like you, you just kicked it into high gear, baby. I did, because it, uh, it's none other than November, and Finally I am here. here for it. We had Wild Speed Summer. <laughs> we had other things since then, because I'm not going to go over all of our... <laughs> All of our themes. Eh, I but, mean, the main was Wild Speed Summer. Yeah, we, we've yeah, had a wild, wild speed time. Summer. Yeah. We've had Snipuli. Big fan of Snipuli. Um, Sandler but, September was really fun. Yeah, Sandler was September fun. was really fun. Um, what else have we... We've, we've done a lot, y'all. We had f***able March. <laughs> Dude, March is the best. <laughs> what a great March. Also, that's we, 20, That's twenty twenty one March now. We have to add consist, that. Just consisted of all four of us just going. They're f-able. Yeah. Uh, f-able October. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tibble <laughs> <laughs> ah! for the wristables. Uh, uh, September. Yeah, that's right. Uh. August? Are oh we just gonna God. go blue this this whole? <laughs> yeah, uh, Olivia isn't here, so we're going blue. It's what you wanted. Three guys just talking about gross stuff, like no other podcast. It's all getting bleeped out, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's the comedy. Uh, Wild Speed Summer. <laughs> there we go. Bring this back full circle. November, baby. We're doing it. We're finally, we're back. Where are we going? what is now established as an annual tradition where we cover at least one Vin Diesel franchise each year. Next year might be a little Damn hard, it. What did we sign up for? Next year is Triple X, baby. Oh, hell yeah. I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. And then by that point, they should have the Pacifier out. Pacifier 2 done by then. Yeah, I mean, we could cover. No, we we could cover the all of the movies with Groot in them. I actually (laughs) ah, I actually have a story about the pacifier. Great, I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was just um, the first uh, date I went on was to go see the pacifier. It was in sixth grade. Oh, James. Yeah. Did you did you like the movie? Yeah, it was pretty good. Did you hold hands? No. Oh. But thanks. I was like the first boy in the school to ask a girl out. So like. Hey. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Kind of big deal. Put that on a resume. Oh, it's on there, Aaron. <laughs> How is the pacifier? Was it good back in sixth grade? I enjoyed it. The chicken wing was very funny. It's yeah. a move that yeah. Diesel employs to uh, incapacitate the bad guys. I'm sorry, the bad people. Vin Diesel. What, and, a, and what a weird career. <laughs> well, that's part of November, right? We're talking about his career because uh, we we celebrate Vin Diesel. Yes, but we, we love you, Mark Sinclair. <laughs> Honestly, though, a very strange career. It's very successful and fruitful career. Yeah. But very strange. Yes. 
Very much so. Do we know, like, how did he get into acting? (laughs) It's a wonderful story. (laughs) Yes, Aaron, would you like to be the one that adds the context? Uh, I don't know the great details or, or like, the numbers, but if I'm not mistaken, he had a film that he, he... He just wanted to make movies. That was his thing. He just wanted to make movies. He had a film premiere at Sundance, As I believe, was the festival, and Spielberg saw it, had no idea who this guy was, but thought he was an interesting look and brought him on to Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, he was on Saving Private Ryan. So it wasn't Sundance. He slam wrote, dance. directed, produced, and starred. Yeah, Slam Dance. <laughs> uh, wrote, directed, produced, and starred in the short drama film Multifacial, a semi autobiographical film which follows a struggling multiracial actor stuck in the audition process. Kind of sounds familiar, Vin. <laughs> Diesel. And then, and then that got selected for screening at the 1995. Can Film Festival. Wow. I, I'm gonna say a little bit bigger than Sundance. Okay, Can's Can's pretty big. And then in '97, he goes to Sundance with his feature film *Strays*, an urban drama in which he played a gang leader whose love for a woman inspires him to try to change his way. So, Vin Diesel '95 makes his own movie and goes to Can. '97 makes his first feature, goes to Sundance. Spielberg sees his first short multifacial and goes, let me put you in Saving Private Ryan. Damn. So Vin Diesel, he's he's anointed, kind of. 98, Street Sharks. <laughs> uh, Just booming after that. <laughs> 99, he voices... And we've also covered this in Wild Speed Summer as well, but just adding context because that's what we like to do. He does Iron Giant, uh, which is the first film from Warner Brothers animation feature film animation department. And I think it might be their last film as well. So that movie drastically underperforms. It's so good. Very much so. So good. As we've seen, uh, good does not necessarily... Uh, carry over into financial success. Well, it should, Kenny. I agree. And then after that, uh, Diesel is in Boiler Room with Giovanni Ribisi and Ben Affleck. So he's he's hobnominate with uh, very high class talent. Sorry, did you say hobnobbing? Uh, yeah, okay. hobnobbing. I just want to make sure I heard you right. Yes, he was hobnobbing. And then, after all of this, he makes his breakout role the thing that puts him on the map for sure in the popular consciousness of the United States, of which we three live in. Mm-hmm. Pitch black. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yep. That's his breakout role? What? Yep. Really? Yeah. It it it, it lights the wick of, of his... I mean, essentially, his his firecracker to stardom. Like huh. he he kind of starts popping in stuff almost yearly after this, right, Kenny? Yeah, uh, Pitch Black is a good sleeper hit. Uh, maybe it's not necessarily a sleeper hit, but it. Uh, what year did let this me come see. out? Two thousand. Two thousand. So, okay, I thought it was the, I thought it was two thousand three, so I was a little bit off. Right during Y two K. Um. Yeah. It got Don't a say it saved Y2K. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it grossed a worldwide total of $53 million, which is, for 2000, that's respectable, especially considering that it's a non-franchise film. I think the budget was $40 million. Wow. I, th- I think. I th- Turns think. out it was Oh, 4, no. 000. It was $23 million. Oh, wow. So, so they made turning- a good bit back. Yeah. Uh, it turned a nice chunk of change, and I'm pretty sure it had an even longer life on DVD and VHS, whenever that mattered. And then after that, he does Fast and Furious, sorry, The Fast and The Furious, which releases in 2001. Stealing some DVDs. Ma- that's a massive hit. As and it then the be. next year after, th- after that, he does Triple X. And that is also a massive hit. 
And then after that, he does another movie that we'll be talking about next week. But we're not talking about Chronicles of Riddick after that. We're talking Pitch Black today, baby. But this yeah, is the I mean, first. This... Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say this. This it solidified what a, a long, fruitful career, or that this kicked off a long, fruitful career because it was it's. The amount of pro- like that man makes moves. He's a hustler. He he is in so much, and I don't think he's the greatest voice actor. But he, oh, he gets okay. Let's let's slow down. He 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 gets you know big paying roles, and I just gotta say, the man knows how to put himself in the business because he's he's basically the business now. I, he made his own career because no yeah. one would hire him. And then he's able to prove that he has something to say by going to Cannes and Sundance and get noticed by Spielberg for his short. And it gets put, I mean, he got put, I mean, everybody knew Saving Private Ryan was going to be a a major success. Like, Uh, I don't know. I don't know, Aaron. What's monumental about Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg coming together in the nineties? Yeah, you're right. What, we what weren't sure how how life was gonna. We we weren't we weren't sure how life was gonna be for Tom after Turner and Hooch, so it just wasn't a a a, 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 a yeah. confirmed thing. That's right. Uh, Tom made Turner and Hooch, and then after that, just kind of spent some time in actor purgatory <laughs> until Spielberg <laughs> plucked him out for Saving Private Ryan. He was he wasn't doing too hot, uh, and then Spielberg made Amistad, and that was it. That's all he did in the nineties, and then Saving Private Ryan, real, real long shots. <laughs> <laughs> but like to to have your first feat, like your first feature in a feature, be one of the most. quintessential americana cinema war movies i guess yeah because like we've had hundreds if not thousands of war, of war movies but they long got forget forgotten like 1917 wonderful movie i thought it was great at the dolby i'm gonna forget about it in five years but still to this day you're not gonna forget saving I, private ryan I, I i genuinely keep forgetting that that movie exists same yep great i also forget until you said i'm like Oh right, it took, I, it took me a minute to realize like 1917. Where are you? Oh, that. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> but also 2020 has been a hellscape. I mean, yeah, uh, you're not true. wrong. Yeah. So we still like, haven't forgotten about Saving Private Ryan. So. That's true. Well, because it's Saving Private Ryan. It's very yeah. good. I have yet to see it. You want to watch it? Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, we'll do a movie marathon episode about it. Okay. Uh, okay. Good party, In 20, good party movie. We'll double feature that with Honest Dog. <laughs> it's a great film to watch, you know, just with Red Bull with and friends jerky and just, and just <laughs> drunk about. Buffalo oh, Wild Wings. Me miss our movie just, I know, that sucks. Like, <laughs> just wing stop waters everywhere. Just. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for Sorrowful September. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's <laughs> Choice, Schindler's List, Honest <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. But Schindler's List. Angela's Ashes. Yeah, these are all good movies. We just you just want to feel sad. Kenny. Schindler's List is so good. He could have gotten more. That's true. Such a good good moment. Anyway. But we're not talking about Schindler's List. We're 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 talking about Pitch Black, baby. This is the first time I've seen this film. Yes. All right. Glad that's established. I mean, I I have no exposure to this franchise outside of the one time that I watched Pitch Black earlier in the year when I thought that we were going to do this series earlier in the year. Uh, that's it. I I, uh, I I saw Chronicles of Riddick first. Sure. And that's the second and one. Then, yes, I saw that one in theaters, and then I learned that Pitch Black. I learned that it was a sequel. Uh-huh. So I watched that one. Oh, you didn't even much... know that Pitch Black was a thing. Correct. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, Chronicles of Riddick. Because my mom wanted to watch Chronicles of Riddick. She was like, it looks like a cool, dumb sci-fi movie. You want to go watch it? And we did. 
Uh, I got Reese's Pieces and popcorn. Hell yeah. Uh, more nice. than likely a pib because my movie theater had pib, Mr. Pib. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you get and, some uh, red vines? Uh, no, I'm a Reese's Pieces kid, so I can put it in my popcorn. Yeah, but you, you get the red Reese's vines to put in the in the in the pop, and you drink it like a straw. Yeah, as the saying goes in Lazy Sunday, Mr. Pip plus red vines equals crazy delicious. That's right. Thank you, Kenny. I, but I, I don't think you guys heard me. I had Reese's Pieces and popcorn. Aaron, just to hear you eat Reese's Pieces and drink Mr. Pib at the same time, I would just expect diabetes to just happen instantly. <laughs> Like, cause I, I know, I know that I've had that combo combo combination before and I can just feel myself getting sick because I, like just getting lightheaded, walking back to the car wait, wait, and just that, being like, that makes you lightheaded, hurts, but the but... munchy meal doesn't look, I, uh, no, cause it's not packed with sugar as opposed to Reese's pieces, which is it's, it's sugar. Yeah, it's great. That's peanut buttery sugar it's great. on top of Mr. Pib, which is. Yeah. The most sugary soda. Yeah, well, okay. Mountain You're not Dew. wrong. You're, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Mountain Dew is pretty sugary. I feel like Mr. Pibb is heavier. It's because it's, it's, it's more syrupy. Yeah. yeah, syrup. More syrupy. Uh, wild Speed Summer. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I, yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. So I watched Pitch Black later in life. Mm-hmm. I it, I don't know I I don't know if it's because I watched these out of order, but I like Chronicles of Riddick better. Uh, for the viewers at home, uh, Aaron is just stabbing a pillow uh, fiercely I... with a knife as he is uh, explaining his point. That's right. Not, not that not that I didn't like this one. It's just I like Chronicles of Riddick better. Aaron just lit a poster of uh, Von Diesel on fire. Uh, well, Aaron, you might not be the only one that had a violent reaction against this film. I'm just saying, I like this better than La La Land, okay? A, That's... Uh, <laughs> I think that you would like a dead possum carcass more than La La Land. Probably. You'd, you'd just be like, well, at least that possum was alive at one point. <laughs> oh, You're not man. wrong. Brutal. I hate that fucking movie. Do we have, do we break the rules if it's not the movie we're covering, even though we're dunk on it? Nah, let's not poke holes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's do the let's do the context. Context. In a review titled "Pitch Black" from Nick Davis, associate professor, Department of English, as well as Program and Gender and Sexuality Studies at Northwestern University. Uh, along with also being the web host of nicksflickpicks.com. That's a great URL. What, Especially for a professor. Yeah. Like, I, it's... I feel he's one, uh, uh, if I may scene paint this person. Uh, so he's got like uh, big like Harry Potter glasses and then like uh, a fancy bidet and a long French cigarette. I think you mean beret, not bidet. <laughs> yeah, because bidet shoots water at your butt. Hold on, it's, he's got a bidet. Still... He's he's yeah. wearing a bidet on his head. This is part of his aesthetic. Okay. Okay. And, Shoot, he's, okay. and he's wearing a toilet paper vest. Continue, Ken. Pitch Black is action science fiction that barely qualifies as action, and not at all as either science or fiction. I guess that means that it's nonfiction. Vin Diesel, saving Private Ryan, Boiler Room, who is waiting for something better to come along. And Radha Mitchell, who barely pretends an interest, stars the two leaders of a crew of space travelers marooned on a sinister planet. Mitchell, the co-pilot of the crashed craft, had considered jettisoning the passenger compartment with its dozen or so paying travelers until stopped from doing so by her co-pilot, Cole Hauser. Of course, this revelation comes to light, but even that opportunity for narrative progression fails to enliven the main thread of this yarn, the millionth knockoff of the Aliens films to misunderstand completely what makes those films such extraordinary entertainments. Pitch Black, following its title, is totally in the dark about character development. It constitutes a significant and much-praised 
arc in this picture for Diesel, a technologically augmented killing machine to help fight the good fight with the rest of the castaways when they begin obligatorily to be assaulted by flying carnivorous outer space nasties. That's the best description I can give of the beasts who look a little like hammerhead shark pelican hybrids as designed by H.R. Giger. What the desperate strandees soon discover is that the creatures can only move, nay, survive in darkness, so all movement must be done either by day or in the presence of bright electric lamps, flares, lightning bugs in a jar. Anything in this paragraph that sounds like a joke is not, and that extends to the imperialist plunderer trying to save his excavated bottles and trinkets, nor to the very spiritual black man whose presence all but negates the other character's implicit poke in the ribs at colonialist stereotypes. Given the lo-fi cast and the crude nature of the effects, Pitch Black can't possibly have cost much to make, and yet I still can't believe what could have been done in the world with the money squandered on this turkey. There is something terrifically unpoignant about watching a picture destined not to be remembered, especially when its own cast seems already to have forgotten they are making a movie, Space Junk of the Lowest Echelon, Grade D. Professor, can we go now? <laughs> You're going to listen. I went to his website. and um, What, next flick picks? Yeah. It's one, he doesn't have an SSL certificate. You gotta have an SSL certificate. You, you gotta, gotta have an SSL certificate. You gotta. Certificate. See, you you're gotta be safe when you're browsing the web. You gotta let the people know that you are safe to do, do business. You wanna make with. sure that info gets transmitted securely. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us to our first sponsor SSL certificates. Get them today. Where? Don't know. <laughs> God, we're. R- raking it in with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, generic SSL certificates. Go get them. Wherever you need to go. Em. We're a little loose tonight. Uh, we're recording at night. Uh, that's the meta uh, beyond the podcast. It's not quite a shit uh, so, nights. Sure. So, Aaron, you just hate this movie, which means you're going to have to pay 30 no, bucks. No, uh, I don't hate it. I just, in comparison to... to Chronicles of Riddick, it's just less chronically. It's just <laughs> I mean I, you got me excited for Chronicles of Riddick because I it it's I, I will say uh-huh. anything you have Keith David in, it's it's not a bad movie. Oh yes. He is great. He's phenomenal. He is His voice. Mwah, I love it. That, we we can make that a fifth rule. I, I think just anything that Keith David is in is magic. Yeah. Is fucking gold. Yeah. What else have I watched recently that had Keith David in it? I forget. Besides Community? Platoon. I watched Platoon. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Platoon. Uh, uh, the only film that bothers to dare ask the question, what if mm-hmm. there was a Platoon? <laughs> That's a bold question, Kenny. It's about time that question was asked. Yeah. We've been chomping at the bits wanting to know the answer. Um, I mean... I feel like my view and opinion on this movie is going to be pretty obvious. It would have been better as an anime. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. This could have been really cool. It is a very fine line with this film feeling like it could have been a direct to sci-fi channel movie of the week. Yeah. But it's got a little bit higher production value and it's got it's got Vin Diesel. It's got a charismatic performance by Vin Diesel, who is who is genuinely good in this movie. Yes, um, it has so such odd stylistic choices, mm-hmm. very two thousands with the like yeah, yeah. the color correction stuff. I like, guess not color correction. Well, first of all, it's very blue. The very blue, blue to the point it was almost white. Yeah, like it was. It was so like like my eyes hurt. But, like, it wasn't consistent with every scene. And I know this yeah. is, like, kind of nitty-gritty in editing, but, like, oh, man, like, I don't know, like, that feels like just a color correction error turned into, like, a choice. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Anyway. They they might have just been like, ah, we'll keep it. it yeah. It's fine. Yeah. They, won't, they won't care. <laughs> no one will notice. 
Um, yeah. I mean, this was basically at the beginning of whenever digital color grading started. I remember the first film that I heard about digital color grading on was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which also came out in oh. 2000. Um, and so, whereas the Coen brothers are artsy filmmakers, David Toohey makes, makes pulpy movies. Would Toohey would have had this at his disposal? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's it's clear that he had digital effects to work with. Yeah. I don't know, because if you're starting to work with digital color correction at the beginning, the entrance to that would have been so much more expensive than having to develop this chemically, but also at the same time, I don't it would make so much more sense for them to just be like, cool, can you just apply the blue filter in Final Cut, please? Can you press the blue button in Avid? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I really don't have much to say about this movie, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it was fine. I wish it was an anime, like a... Like a Eight episode anime would have been cool. I mean, there's a there's a lot of moving parts, yeah. in in this movie, and it is it's very competently made. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a particularly great movie. It's fine. It's it's very down the middle. Yeah, it is anchored by Riddick. It, I mean, the one thing I like, I like like the uh, uh, Carolyn's arc, the pilot. Like, that was a cool, like, I don't want to say she, I mean, she was kind of the hero. She went through I, the hero's journey, at least. She's she's the protagonist. Like Most definitely. Killed. And then, and then they also, well, according to the stuff that I read while researching for that, i.e. Uh, just looking at IMDb. Sure. Um, Riddick was the one that was supposed to die, which that makes a lot more sense structurally. Yeah. Film, yeah, yeah. Especially when she says, "I'm not going to die for you." <laughs> yeah, and instead, David Tui and Vin Diesel were like, "Well, this Riddick guy is cool. What if he doesn't die?" And it feels like that, very much so. Because yeah. the, the the story is not about Riddick. No, that stuff. Because there's so much of it, it feels it feels pretty inorganic to things, and at the same time, it's the most interesting thing that is going on, and it's genuinely interesting. It's I mean, just, it's it's quite convoluted. He is the antagonist because he is like putting up barriers and going against the protagonist. Sort of, kind of. In a very loose term, like he is. Playing up like those roadblocks. I mean, because he's an oppositional force to be sure. Yeah. But it's he just vacillates so wildly between being against everyone and then being an ally. And it feels just more them going, but isn't Vin Diesel cool? Which, mm -hmm. spoiler alert, he is. He's very cool. He's very cool. We all agree. Uh, Mark Sinclair, very cool. Cool guy. It does. He's a cool guy. It does kind of feel like they didn't intend for Riddick to be so charming. Mm, yeah. Until Vin got a hold of it and just fucking nailed it. And I, I'd imagine that they didn't intend for this figure to be what Riddick was because of Vin Diesel. And they just. They just ran with what they had, which was I, a home run with, with Vin. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of all due to Vin bringing his energy to the thing. Yeah. Reading a little bit about the development process. Well, I, I've been going through the Alien movies and all the behind-the-scenes stuff nice. for the Alien movies, of which there is so much. Good Lord. Yeah. There's so much material. Uh there's the wonderful Alien Anthology Blu-ray set where each movie has at least a three-hour making-of documentary. About Whoa, that's Jesus. awesome. Hell yeah. And then another extra hour of deleted stuff that you can watch as well, and then way more 
documentaries that also happen to have been made that they put it on there. Yeah, kitchen sink approach. It's a great Blu-ray set. I recommend it. I think you can get it for like ten or fifteen bucks now. It's 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 great. Oh. Two cuts of all of the movies. Uh, at least the four Sigourney Weaver alien films. Um, no AVP. No AVP. No AVP. About AVPR. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Have you seen that movie? James? It's been a while. It's it's so bad. It gets my coveted half star on Letterbox. Good lord! It is so bad. So it that's in the so same league as Living Wake, then. Yeah, I would probably want to watch Alien versus Predator Requiem because at least I'll be able to see an alien and a predator. <laughs> uh, it delivers but, but, what it's promising, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, Living Wake also promises, delivers on what it promises. It says there's going to be the Living Wake, and we see that. <laughs> oh, man. Can but anyways, so uh, here's what I don't like about the Living Wake. Uh, the beginning, <laughs> the middle, and also the end. But anyways, uh, David Tuohy, who is the writer, director, dare I say, auteur of the Riddick franchise, sure. along with Vin Diesel... David Tuohy is an up-and-coming screenwriter in the late 80s, early 90s, and gets his hands on Alien 3. He is one of the writers of one of the multiple drafts on Alien 3. They do not move forward on that script, which is originally set on a prison planet. So David Tuohy takes that treatment and kind of spins it into a version, well, takes a lot of those ideas, merges it with a script that was already written by some other gentlemen and kind of creates Pitch Black, which has alien-esque type aliens. They reference H.R. Giger in this review, and that's, I mean, it looks Giger-esque for sure. And also they're dealing with Riddick, who is very much... Alien 3 is set on a prison planet, and Riddick looks like one of the prisoners from Alien 3. Uh, Alien 3. You got to watch the assembly cut. It's much better. Yeah. yeah. Talks about themes and stuff. That's good. I I, I just want to say, like, I, I think from the get-go, Vin was fucking cool in this movie. Oh, it's so good! Yeah. The way they he's like, so him. cool. Yeah, just Badass. when he's like got his hands behind his back and he's just like, like mo- I shorts, guess like yeah. moving, cracking them up to like move the muscles. In, in my Which, head, so, he's dislocating his shoulders, then relocating them. Apparently, he did that. Too. He did that for real. Apparently, what? Oh, uh, they he couldn't do it with what's it the handcuffs on so i believe the handcuffs were added digitally but wow. that him him moving his arms like that that's 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 the d's nice. oh man Hell that's yeah. i i i just like so i mean tui was was tui lucky uh very much so uh looking at david tui's career david tui his biggest credit is being the credited one of the credited writers on The Fugitive, which I oh, don't know if you, you guys remember, but that movie was a huge deal whenever that thing came out. Got nominated for so many Oscars, and no one really talks about it anymore. I love that movie. Uh, sure, I it's about seen a fugitive. It. Uh, it's it's a, the only movie that dares to ask the question: What if there was a fugitive? And U.S. Marshals. Only, what only film to ask, what if U.S. Marshals? Wow. That sounds incredible. <laughs> sounds groundbreaking. Uh, but Fugitive was the thing that put Tommy Lee Jones on the map. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Tommy Lee Jones was not an established actor until The Fugitive. Fugitive. Wow. And yeah. Was that late 70s or early That's 80s? Early 90s. 90s? That's yeah. 90s? Yeah. And, and I will say it's that movie alone that makes me feel like Tommy Lee Jones is in so much in the 90s. 
Yeah. I mean, he I mean, he's got an established yeah. career in the 90s, but not nearly as much as I think. Like, uh, like Batman Forever begs to disagree, Aaron. <laughs> Big fan of that one too. We don't have we we don't want to go down this route of bad Batman movies for me. So I love Batman Forever. I love that movie. I genuinely love that movie. It's not an ironic. It's so life. good. I love well, I guess movie. we're doing a Batman month. Batman, Batman, Batman March. But David, that's David Toomey's most legitimate credit, I suppose. The other things that are kind of big on his filmography up to this point are G.I. Jane with Demi Moore. She shaves her head and she's in the military. The movie that dares to ask the question, what if a woman but army? I mean, at the time. The makes sense. Uh, the the movie The Arrival with Charlie Sheen, which is pretty darn well received. Roger Ebert gives it a pretty glowing review, but also sometimes that's not necessarily hard. I remember he gave the three or four stars to Knowing, the Alex Proyas Nicholas Cage film. Oh. I will never get that out of my mind. Knowing was atrocious. Sure, sounds like he knew it. And four stars to Phantom Menace, correct? I don't know. If I'm not mistaken, he gave yeah a very high review to Phantom Menace. I mean, he got paid under the table, right? Can we start that rumor here? No, I don't I... like that rumor. That's dumb. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Kay. Why just... would film studios pay film critics? I, I, I don't know. Just to increase sales, boost ticket sales. And... Like if you have an icon you look up to and they say it's a good movie, you'll be more incentivized to go there and watch it. And then you'll say your friends, and it'll be a whole party. I don't know. Just got it in my head. And also, David Tui is the writer of Waterworld, the notorious late 90s, well, maybe not late 90s, but mid-90s flop uh, that dares to ask the question, what if Kevin Costner was in a Waterworld? And what also Matt- a very failed video game, by the way. It is not a good video game. <laughs> A movie that dares to ask, what if Mad Max just got a little bit of drop of water? Just a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little bit. Just a little teeny tiny bit. Just a little wet. Not a lot. Uh, but David Toohey is a consistently working screenwriter. He's a fairly solid director, and so he's able to set up Pitch Black, do this movie for $23 million, which, in the grand scheme of things, that's about the same as a mid-budget drama at any of the other places. So it's not necessarily that much of a financial risk. Uh, when did this movie come out? Outside of 2000. What month? February. This feels like a March. Oh, James is right. February 18th, 2000. Yes. Which kind of means that they were kind of dumping it a little bit, but it's able to turn a tidy profit and then probably makes some good recoup on costs whenever Fast and Furious blows up because you got another Vin Diesel moving. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask for a brief sidebar? Granted. Granted. Given the current climate that we're in with potentially movie theaters going out the window and mm-hmm. becoming more of a novelty, mm-hmm. um, what do you think that's going to do to the film distribution schedule? The film distribution schedule? Yeah, like do you think all you do you think your heavy hitters are still gonna be in like does it change it at all or does it remain the same where your heavy hitters are in December ish and your duds are January? And your summer blockbusters, of course. Or is it that hey, everybody's at home so we can release a summer blockbuster in February or January? certainly what's going to happen whenever there is a successful vaccine deployed is that movie theaters will be like, Hey, come see everything. Uh, we're releasing F nine wonder woman, 1984 and all no time to die. All of these things, all at the same weekend, every movie will make a billion dollars. And then things will probably start flattening out. And then people will, it will become even more niche. Just like you said, um, because I mean, no one 
only nerds like going to the movie theaters, right? Yeah. Uh, normal folks are terribly inconvenienced, and it's a very big price ask for something that just kind of occupies two, three hours of your time that is a much lower cost investment. If you just stay at home and see what the Netflix algorithm proposes, you can get the exact same type of stimulation with a lot less of a hassle. Yeah, but going to the movie theater is cool. Look, I love going to the movie theaters. I'm always going to go to the movie theaters as well. And then what's going to happen is that that's just going to fraction up. People will need to really adopt a draft house style thing of you have to build a culture mm-hmm. around the thing to make it a destination. Right. Um, and I've not put thought into this. That's my answer. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious because like Disney's kind of changing, is kind of shifting. I know they're already announcing like a 2021 streaming schedule kind of thing they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just curious if I mean, Disney's strategy, at least on one of their most recent reports, is to put everything in streaming at the moment, which for 2020 and 2021 makes so much sense. They could not have picked a better year to launch Disney Plus, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. well, I guess it launched last year in November. Uh, but uh, good Lord, it's got to be a gangbusters year. I believe that Mulan is the sixth most streamed film of the entire wow. year. Wow. And that means that people were willing to pay a $30 price tag on top of a Disney Plus subscription. So that is even less incentive for disney to be releasing things in theaters whenever things happen that being said research i forget what studies but there is still an air of legitimacy that gets lent to things that come out theatrically because you go oh this came out in a movie theater that means that this is a quote-unquote real movie so there's a little bit less buy-in to get people to watch it whenever it comes to streaming because they just recognize that from banner ads and YouTube ads and whatnot, because I know that that was only in theaters. I bet hmm. Tanit is going to do gangbusters whenever it comes out in December. Yeah. At least for the first week or two. I can and see that for sure. Sharp drop because that movie is stinky duty. Ooh. You didn't like it? It's real bad. It's real bad. You said I'd hate it because of time travel. Oh, yeah. It's got time travel. It's dumb. Time travel's dumb. Sure. But, yeah. Well, because I wasn't sure, too, if, especially after the Paramount uh, agreement, if it come 2022, Disney just starts opening up their own theaters. I uh, I mean, the first thing that theatrical exhibition has got to do is get everything back on its feet. Period. Everything is going to be so massively contracted. Um, AMC it's a strong contender that AMC will be declaring bankruptcy in December so that, that means that they're on their last legs which is wild um, if, if theatrical exhibition survives it's going to be a whole bunch of testing the water and there's definitely going to be an audience that is so hungry to just get out and do anything try and get those normal rhythms back and then like in 2023 24 25 i would not be surprised to see disney start branching out into family theaters that are able to really address kids because that's why that that's the biggest business that theaters have you can sit the kids down and they can watch minions yeah <laughs> whatever the movie is it's minions it's always minions but it's it's so much i just need the kids to shut up and watch and do anything uh, just yeah. just be quiet which is so such a sour outlook and yet i worked in a movie theater long enough to just be like cool so that's why i mean kids movies always do the best they are always successful it seems like and so if disney is able to fraction that off and create that, which I just won't be surprised if if that happens. I I can't imagine the Biden administration would roll 
without the Paramount Decrees yet again. Because that would be great for theaters. Tricky question. But to answer your basic question, I think whenever the vaccine happens, it's just going to be their their studios are going to front load things if movie theaters genuinely exist. Hmm. What a weird time. It's a weird time. Yeah. Anyways, the movie Side that we're talking closed. about is Pitch Black. <laughs> that Vin Diesel uh, classic, Pitch Black. I really don't have yeah. anything else to say about this movie. That's unfortunate. Because, like, it was fine. That's it. I... <sighs> I, I hate to say it because I'm not a huge fan of this, but I'd really like to see it redone. I'd really like to see it remastered. I was thinking about that. You know who I want to play, uh, Carolyn? Vin Diesel. I just want a one-man show of Vin. That's all I want. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? Vin Diesel might be the type of actor that would genuinely do a one-man show and just t- tour that around. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I'd go to it. Uh, I'd go, would, absolutely. And it would just be something that's completely like off the walls, just like Vin Diesel doing a one-man show about the Bengals from the 1980s. And we would just be like, why is Vin Diesel doing a one-man show about the Bengals? He's never been to Ohio. Why is he doing a movie about the Bengals? <laughs> And then it's clear that he's super passionate about the Bengals, but everyone is just like, "I, what are you, what are you talking about? I, why, why?" I mean, have you been to Cincinnati? You'd get it. Sorry, I'm not talking about the Bengals. I'm talking about the Bengals, the Apologies. 1980s, the 1980s girl group, not the Cincinnati football team. <laughs> my mind <laughs> okay. was somewhere else. Same, uh, yeah, Bengals, <laughs> not Bengals. Yeah, they're very distinct difference. Yeah, what's a tiger? <laughs> Carolyn's good. She's fine. Cole Hauser's in this movie. Yeah. Keith David uh, nails it. Oh, Keith yeah. David does nail it. You should put Keith David in the Fast and Furious movie. Oh, I would love that. Oh, dude. I love that. Oh, Kenny, you just made that franchise so much better for me because I love Keith David. He's what great. if? What if? What if? He plays Vin Diesel's dad. Oh, oh, dude. Kenny, stop it. You got to have a deep voice that gives birth to a deep voice. Oh. Well, and just Keith David comes out of the shadows and he's like, son, you still living a quarter mile at a time? No, dad. I'm living a full mile for my family. Or, okay, no, I'll set it up. Okay. So Keith David is yeah. sitting on a porch, right? He's just he's just just sitting there, Exterior, just waiting because porch he, night. We're we're, we're going to play him up just being a little bit older, and then and Vin needs his dad. He just needs to talk about something, and then he walks up to the porch, and Keith is sitting there, and he just turns over, and he says "family," and he hands him a Corona. <laughs> Roll credits. Roll credits. That's the oh. whole movie. If I, because we have to adjust it, and again, the movie that we are talking about is Pitch Black, not Fast and the Furious, but we're talking Fast and the Furious, because it's established in the first movie. Vin Diesel's dad, quite dead, very dead. He died. Yeah, out. So is Letty. Sure. So whenever you introduce Keith David, it's got to he's he's got to be coming. He's got to be in a porch in the shadows. Like I'm thinking that Vin Diesel, it's, it's a low moment in Dom's life and he's driving around in his charger. And then he goes, there's two the, wrenches. Let's not forget that. Let's, yeah. <laughs> and he's, and he goes back to the old house, the house that got blown up in furious seven. Right. And it's just, they haven't built anything because you, uh, Los Angeles declared that a historical monument because Vin Diesel touched it. Uh, and then Vin Diesel's just kind of looking through the rubble. And then just out of the corner, you just hear, uh, not everything that's dead is gone. And then just from out of the shadows, Keith David just walks up. And Vin Diesel goes, Dad. Roll credits. He doesn't, it's Next not a movie. question. He just says, dad like he just <laughs> i 
I completely forgot he dual wielded two four foot wrenches, and that, that I just great. it was great. This movie it's great. He has a sword fight with wrenches. Anyways, uh, if you guys are interested in more Pitch Black, this movie has two prequels. What? This movie has two prequels. Uh, there is Pitch Black Slam City, which is a webcomic on the Pitch Black website that was transferred over to YouTube. You can see how Riddick got his mirror eyes. Tight. There is also the sci-fi channel quasi-documentary Into Pitch Black, which is 48 minutes, and I watched 12 minutes of it, and it is insufferable. <laughs> Good. And and in that, you also get to find out how Riddick got his mirror eyes. Is it the same way as it was in the comics? No. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. And according to the Riddick wiki, apparently those two things contradict further information that we get about how Riddick in this got movie. his mirror eyes. Yeah, because in the movie he says, uh, well, first you have to kill a bunch of people. And then you got have a doctor implant uh, stuff in your eyes yeah. so you can see people sneak sneaking up on you in the darkness. Yes. Uh yeah. It's a uh, yeah. I I just it it's a it's it's an early two thousand and the I what I love about two thousands films like ninety eight to two thousand one is they don't have an identity really. No. <laughs> they really don't. They're they're so in between of like nineties rock and roll and like two thousands like not really caring. Like just kind of it's so it's such a strange time just in general. Um, and that's coming from a guy who's living in 2020. It was just a very strange time cinematically. For different reasons. It's fair, but it, it was just it it's so strange to try and, and watch a two thousands film. It's it, it's gonna sound dumb, but it's like trying to play a game from 2011 one. yeah or, or like or even er, or even earlier than that like 2011 like it's not a huge difference but when you're playing it you're like holy shit oh this, no we've seen some a huge different like yeah i, I it, can't it remember just, what came out in 2011 game wise uh it was a little bit before uh left left for dead but it oh, it's yeah. it it's it's very strange like time like you're like how did we survive this like i'm sorry that blue filter almost killed me it was it was too bright it was a lot of blue it was a lot of blue and it just it like like kenny you hit it right on the head like you could have told me this was straight to sci-fi channel and i would have believed you i didn't even know this had a theatrical run and and i think that's how a lot of sci-fi films from 2000 from 98 to 2001 went i think it's fair to point out if we if like we had a hand in making this movie we would all be very proud oh yeah it's one of those because like they still kind of look like they still made a movie this i mean this is vin's passion project the riddick franchise is is vin's passion he wants to do these he walked backwards into making Fast and Furious into a franchise. But Riddick was the thing that he was trying to make happen. He put all his chips in this. And he still has a successful career. <laughs> he, yeah, by by kind of accident. And he he wanted... This was supposed to be like his Christopher Reeve Superman, right? This was... We'll, we'll talk more about that in the other episodes the chronicles of riddick and riddick episodes was this uh, the one that, because... that was based on his D campaign no that's the last witch hunter oh which you also asked about in wild speed summer i i i'll watch it eventually also uh you gotta listen to those episodes it's great uh anyways let's play the rotten tomatoes <laughs> game and get out of here shall we Hulks? yeah i'm tired let's do it 
The Rotten Tomatoes game. I'm sorry if we're boring, James. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I, I, it, it kind of feel like just Chronicles of Riddick. It, it's, it's fine. Yeah. And I hate to say that that's that's Pitch Black. I'm sorry. I like Chronicles of Riddick. I really do. Yeah. But Pitch Black is just like, I, I mean, they made a movie and they got lucky. Like, that's really all you have to say about it. Yeah. I wonder if it made that much just because there wasn't anything else that was out. On February 18th, 2000. I mean, that's that, that's one of the reasons why Titanic became the highest grossing film of all time. Because yeah. December was not... like. De- the, the the December film landscape back then was not the veritable fountain of riches that it became. So them putting Titanic there was just kind of became a smart move because there was nothing else there as well as Titanic being a good movie. So they were able to get repeat business because there just wasn't anything else. Same thing with Avatar. There wasn't anything else. Even though they had started releasing more movies in December, there wasn't anything else in January and February because those move because those months are still dumping grounds. Yeah, I guess what was was Endgame the only one that kind of without a doubt just stomped its way into being the top rated one because the other ones it was just like, well, what else are we going to watch? Like. Yeah, but that one like Endgame like brought a, a crowd. They had to do like a whole re re release. Um, yeah, I mean yeah, Titanic was true. a real cultural moment that created touchstones that we'll remember until the Earth burns. Uh, Avatar came along at the right time. It was kind of testing out some new technology, and regardless of what you think about the movie, it was really pretty to look at. Yeah, especially in 3D, and also 3D ticket sales would also count for inflated pricing, and could push Avatar a little bit over. But also, there just wasn't anything else out in February, January, and February. Um, and then Endgame had 22 movies of marketing beforehand. Yeah. So whenever you're just waving every single flag and going last one, last one, you're never going to get a Marvel movie ever again. Even though Spider-Man: Far From Home came out three months later i really enjoyed uh, far from home same i liked it too it's the rotten tomatoes game boom da boom boom splat so the rotten tomatoes game is based off of the website rotten tomatoes a film review aggregator that takes all film reviews averages them out by a pass fail system then assigns a percentage on how many people might think a movie is either fresh or rotten this is not a score that a film is x percent good it is only a score of how many people liked it we're gonna be asking for two scores one being the critical score the other one being the audience score and you two will be guessing what the score is without going under starting with the critical score out of 112 critical reviews and a rare head-to-head bout playing for all the marbles mr fight what do you think the critical score is for pitch black otherwise known as the chronicles of riddick colon pitch black 68 percent 68%. 68%. Why oh. 68%? That's just what I feel in my bones. And uh, I don't think it's funny enough to go to 69. All right. And for the listener, James is about to fall asleep. Apparently, it's very late. It's nine. Mr. Salinas. It's nine. Yes. It's nine. It's 9 p.m. Uh, Mr. Salinas. Man, wouldn't it be some shit if if all his movies were at 69? I, I just really <laughs> wanted to say that real quick. But um, realistically, I think this is like a 54. 54%. Realistically. I'm going to laugh, and, I'm gonna laugh if, oh, oh, if it's 55. Oh, only because like you, you can't... They probably couldn't see after the film. It was so <laughs> bright. like It hurt. Yeah, people went blind after... The reason that film critics ranked this movie at 54% is because they walked out of the theater and collectively just went, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Bad time. Don't go. Uh, anyways, James walks away with the marbles for the critical round. The correct answer is 60%. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. <laughs> but perhaps Aaron has a chance at redemption. No longer will the blood of innocent people be spilled on Aaron's account, for he too 
could be redeemed to the eyes of God. Out of 278,647 audience ratings, Whoa. Mr. Salinas, what do you think the audience approval rating is for the Chronicles of Reddit colon pitch black? 72. 72%. Why 72? I, I think people, I, I clearly people like this movie. They, they didn't, they weren't like me and watched Chronicles of Riddick first and then Pitch Black. So Certainly. they have no bias towards one film or the other. I, yeah, I, I feel like people probably really like this movie. Certainly. James, do you disagree with that ethos? I agree, but I agree more. 86%. 86%. Oh, wow. Wait. Much more optimistic. Why come? Uh, I think I think the people uh, really enjoyed this. I think they really like uh, uh, Mr. St. Clair. Well, James, you are indeed correct about them. Mm. They do indeed like Mr. Sinclair, and you have pulled off a two-peat. The correct <laughs> answer is 77%. Ooh. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Damn it. Well, good game. <clears throat> I'm the champion. James, yep. that's really good sportsmanship. I know. That's good. That's good conduct. I know. I'm kind of surprised <laughs> that I'm kind of surprised that Aaron didn't say good game. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I got to do it. I got to penalize you 30 bucks. <laughs> oh, this bit's never going to die. Uh, Look, it's, it's part of the end. You gotta be. You gotta start being sportsmanlike, Aaron. How, I understand. How long, it's how the sixth have, rule. You have to be sport. You have to have sportsmanship among the Rotten Tomato games. Otherwise, yes. it's a thirty dollars penalty. How it is a gentleman's had, game. Had this, well, <laughs> Olivia plays it. It's she's a gentleman. That's been our episode of Shame Watch. Thank you to Denise Hudson for our rockin' theme song. And wait, wait, wait. All you people are scared of me. Most days I take that as a compliment. But it ain't me you got a podcast about now. And thank you to James Garcia for our artwork. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Shame Watch on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. Have suggestions, comments? <laughs> Have suggestions, questions comments or general tum floor you want to contribute to the pod send it our way visit us on instagram twitter or facebook at shame watch pod so we can talk with you finally you can contribute to our patreon at patreon.com slash it does cost money to put out superb content like this pod so even a one dollar donation can make a huge difference <laughs> i hiccup uh, aaron what's our ten dollar level uh, you get everything from the previous things as well as feet picks. Kenny, what's our seven dollar level? Well, James, at the remorseful level, you will get all the things that are available at the two dollar and five dollar level, as well as special behind the scenes content that you cannot get anywhere else. Help contribute and pick our next audio commentary. And at five dollars, <laughs> uh, you get all the yummy bits, and uh, you get also what's at the two dollar level. You might be asking yourself, James, what's at the two dollar level? I will tell you. You get to listen to our commentary episodes, Shamwatch TV, hosted by Olivia Suarez, and we say your name on the podcast, starting with Kenny Madison of Austin, Texas, Aaron Osalinas of Austin, Texas, Gene Fight. Bowling Green, Ohio. Alan Smith. Of Leander, Texas. Bradley McPherson. Of Tulsa. Okay. Jennifer Steinberg. Of Austin, Texas. Herc. Of Austin, Texas. Ian Keegan. Of Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, Danny Cantu. Of San Marcos, Texas. Miranda Suarez. Of San Antonio, Texas. Irene Suarez. Of San Antonio, Texas. Nolan Barger. Of Oklahoma City. Okay. Uh, Diane Davis. Of Austin, Texas. Abel. I still don't know how to say his last name. Uh, and Acuna of Austin, Texas. The Consave. Of Stephenville, Texas. 
Until next time. Wait, wait, wait. James, can I get screen share permission? Yeah, hold on. Give me one sec. Give me one sec. Okay, go ahead. Awesome. It's great for a, a an audio podcast to do a visual bit. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. That was an image. Uh, Kenny just you, showed us an image. You don't know of the image? Ben Diesel looking Come on, man. euphoric. Did he make this song? We're going to get taken down by copyright. It's been a good 101 episodes, gang. Um, this is how we're going to get sent off, I guess. Uh, until next time, our watch is now ended. Dive at your own risk.